Welcome to the Graceway Bible Church Podcast, a place to be immersed in teachings from God's Word. We hope you will be blessed by the Word of God as we discover together what our Heavenly Father wants us to understand. If you would like more information about our church, how to know Jesus as your Savior, or teachings from the Bible, visit our website, www.gracewaybc.org. Join us now as we dive into God's Word. Now, one of my favorite things to do was to, on Saturday mornings was to stay in my PJs and watch cartoons. Um, that wasn't yesterday. That's when I was a kid. Uh, I, I liked them all. I liked Bugs Bunny, Daffy Duck, Tom and Jerry, Woody Woodpecker. I mean, you could pretty much catch Bugs Bunny anytime. What's but it, up, Doc? All right. What's up? <laughs> well, wait till I get to the Roadrunner, Joe. Uh, all right. Um, but occasionally you'd see some of the odd ones, like Pepe Le Pew or Taz or Falkhorn Leghorn. But the one that my dad and I loved was Wiley e. Coyote and the Roadrunner. Yes, yes I, got, I got another S. All right, each Saturday, you know, I'd be sitting there just waiting for my cartoons, just wondering if this was the Saturday that I was going to see Wiley e. Coyote. I remember one Saturday morning, and um, excuse me, Alex, can you grab me a clicker, please? Uh, I remember one Saturday morning, uh, I'm just sitting there just waiting for um, whether this was going to be the Saturday that I was going to be able to see my favorite cartoon. So I'm sitting there with my bowl of Cheerios, sitting on the couch, and it's the, it's the, it's the Bugs Bunny episode where it's Bugs Bunny and Daffy Duck arguing over whether it's rabbit season or duck season. The episode gets done, and I went, this is it. I, got, I have that feeling. This is going to be the Saturday where I see my favorite cartoon. I see him, he comes on the screen. Remember what the Roadrunner used to say? BB, there you go. He gets on the screen, ready to get started. Dad, Dad, come on, come on, Dad, it's here. Let's, let's sit down, let's watch, let's watch. And all of a sudden, something comes up on the screen, breaking news. I'm like, really? I've been waiting two weeks. There you go, thank you. <laughs> two weeks for this. So I'm like, oh man, what am I gonna do now? I complain to my mom. My mom says, you know, maybe just clean your room for a little bit. I'm like, really? Replacing cartoons with chores? Not really what I had on the agenda this morning, but you know, our lives are interrupted all the time, from work to family um, to even in church to our hobbies. If you think about it, every change in our lives comes from some type of interruption. Now, we're on the heels of studying Joseph and how Joseph's life was interrupted. He was betrothed to Mary. And then all of a sudden, she becomes pregnant. She comes to the Lord. I mean, the Lord comes to Joseph and says, Joseph, your life was going this way. Now, I need you to go in this direction over here. All right, so now, so now we're going to be studying. Thanks, John. We're going to be studying another in the, in the life of Jonah, where Jonah is living a life interrupted. So let us pray, and we'll take a look at Jonah's life and see how Jonah handled the interruption and how he handled life interrupted, uh, life interrupted way differently than Joseph did. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for gathering us to you today. Father, we thank you for just the wonderful worship we've had so far. Now, Father, as we begin to study your word, Father, we pray that your word this morning just minister to our hearts. Father, we ask that the words that are just spoken by me, uh, that they be the words that you want spoken and can minister to us today. And we pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Have you ever been in a situation where you needed to do something that you didn't want to do? Think about anybody who's ever worked, or kids, homework. I mean, I don't know. So anything that we didn't want to do. There's this guy I know, Chuck. Um, he got a job at Walmart, 
and his job on his first day of work was to assemble bicycles. So he goes to the store manager, it's my first day, the store manager sends him over to the department where the bicycles are getting made, and he goes and he sees the, the guy that's working there already sitting on a box with the tool, sort of like a, with a distressed look on his face, and the guy says to Chuck, says, Chuck, I really don't want to be doing this. So Chuck's like, oh, I don't know, manager sent me over here to make bicycles, what am, I, what am I supposed to do? So the guy says, come on with me. Now Chuck has had a couple of jobs, and already this is turning out to be one of his strangest first days ever. He's told to go do something, but somebody says, no, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to do something else instead. So the department manager leads him, back, leads him back to the receiving area, and they walk into the corner, and um, the guy pulls a box out of the way, and in the wall is a carved out hole about the size of a person. And the manager says, Chuck, come follow me. So they go, they step into this hole, it's about this tight in his face, and the guy says, beats working, huh? It's like, no. So when the manager comes out and feels that there's, that sees that there's not bicycles made, well, they both ended up getting fired. I think all, all of us at some point have tried to avoid doing something. And when we try to avoid these things in work or these things in life, they don't always work out. But when we try to avoid doing what God wants us to do, it really doesn't work out. This is the situation with Joel, because it is the only prophetic book that focuses on the actions of the prophet rather than the words of the prophet. And in this book, we're going to see that there's only, this is actually in this book, there's, Jonah only speaks seven words to where God tells him to speak. And it's one of the few times where a prophet speaks to an enemy of Israel rather than to Israel itself. So let's stand together for the reading of this section of God's word. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for the evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found the ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. You may be seated. So the first thing we see here is that God is speaking to Jonah. So we read in 2 Kings chapter 14, verses 25 to 27, that God has spoken to Jonah already during the reign of King Jeroboam II. This is probably around 760-ish BC. And the author of 2 Kings identifies Jonah as a prophet. In the same passage, it says that Jonah comes from a town of Gath Hefer, a town just a bit north of Jerusalem. So I just want to talk a bit about on what makes a prophet a prophet. A prophet is an individual that God reveals something to them that he then wants conveyed to someone else. So, God, Joe, so we see in chapter, so God, I'm sorry, so God is saying here, Jonah, go and say these words, go to Nineveh and say these words, and then in chapter 3, he actually tells Jonah the message that he wants him to share. So Jonah himself is a prophet, along with some other prophets that are, in, um, that are in Scripture. So I've identified Jonah, but I want to talk a bit about the three towns that are listed here. There's Nineveh, there's Tarshish, and there's Joppa. So we have this map here. So if we look to the right of, towards the right of the map, we see Israel, and we see the town of Joppa. Joppa was a coastal town, and that's where the ships would depart from. So if we look all the way on the right, you can see Tar Tarshish under Spain. So to the Israelites and to the people of the time, this was essentially the end of the world. This was once you got out of the Mediterranean and into the ocean. So God is telling Jonah, listen, I want you to go 
to Nineveh, which is in, in uh, western Syria, and that's eastern Syria, northern Iraq. So he wants you to go to Nineveh, but Jonah says, no, I'm going to go in the complete opposite direction. So I'm wondering, you know, why, you know, we think about why Nineveh? Why is he so, why does he so not want to be with Nineveh? Nineveh is one of the oldest cities in, in the world. It's listed in Genesis chapter, um, Genesis chapter 10 as being built by Noah's grandson, which I think is pretty awesome. There's a town there that was built by a descendant of Noah. Uh, Nineveh was the great city in the area of Assyria, and in uh, this, uh, and in Assyria, Assyria was really had become one of Israel's greatest enemies. So Jonah wasn't happy with what God was asking him to do. Really? Go there? That's where you want me to go? Can I just go back to Jeroboam? I know he's a little bit mean, but at least I know that area. But God decides to disobey, I'm sorry, but Jonah decides to disobey God and go to Tarshish. He boards a boat at Joppa, and he tries to get as far away as possible from God, as if that would ever work out, as if he could ever escape God. And while he was on the ship, these sailors, uh, with these sailors, God sends this great storm, and Scripture tells us that it becomes more and more tempestuous, which really is an awesome word. I don't think I've ever used that word ever in a sentence, tempestuous. In Hebrew, it means it raged, enraged. So the sea has gotten extremely rough, and the sailors are saying, Jonah, what's going on? And they come to realize that Jonah is the cause of this. And they say, Jonah, what do you want, me to, what do you want us to do? Jonah says, throw me in the sea. Now, at first, this seems like self-sacrifice. Jonah is sacrificing himself for the lives of the sailors. But wouldn't it have just been easier for Jonah to say, hey, turn the boat around, and let's go back? So Jonah wants to get so far away from God, so far away from doing what God wants him to do, he'd rather be drowned instead. Did you ever wonder what he was thinking? Man, you have God talking to you. You have the, the supreme God of the universe speaking to you in your ear. I mean, how many of us see God's directions in our lives and for long, would long to have God communicate, talking to us like Jonah, saying, hey, go do this. It may not have been what he wanted to do, right? I don't think what Joseph, Mary, Mary, uh, Joseph, the stepfather of Jesus, was doing exactly what he wanted to do before God said go, right? But I'm thinking, Joseph, you had God here. Why did you need to run? All right, so you're, he has to understand what's in, what happens when you don't follow God. I mean, he's, he's there at the time of Jeroboam who didn't follow God. He has to know about Saul's disobedience with God, and when Saul disobeyed God, God ended up turning his back on Saul. So he knew what was going on. Jonah's life was moving in one direction, this, and God says, no, I want you to go over the here. But rather than listening, he chose to run away. So would we do anything like that now? I could, I could no, not me. But if we think about it, if we really think about it, probably a time or two we have. How did that turn out? Think about a time that maybe you encountered a person in need, but you just walked them by, past them by instead of helping them. Think about a time where you were asked to step out of your comfort zone. You're like, eh, I'm more comfortable over here. I don't really want to do that. Or how about this? There's a thing that you know that you shouldn't do, but you choose to do instead. Think about that for a second. It could be anything. 
It could be drinking, it could be drugs, it could be sex, it could be pornography, it could be cheating, it could be stealing, it could be fill in the blank, whatever it is. You hear that voice telling you, hey, don't do this. So instead of not doing it and going the right way, you go the wrong way instead. You see, as believers, we have the helper with us, right? We have the Holy Spirit living inside of us, communicating God's will to us. But at times, we choose to ignore it. We choose to ignore him. How does not listening to God in either circumstance, whether God directing us to do something we don't want to do or directing us to not do something that we really want to do, how does it turn out? Does it turn out like rainbows and butterflies? It surely didn't for Jonah. So we read at the, we read at the end of our, our um, we read at the end of chapter one that, that God has uh, set aside a large fish after Jonah is thrown into the sea. Jonah ends up where he ends up in the belly of the fish. And then after Jonah ends up in the situation, he turns back to God. It seems to me that people, believers and non-believers, seek God when we're in need. You know, we tend to forget to thank God for a comfort, because that's sort of what we're accustomed to. But we turn to God, we run to him when we're in need. And Jonah does exactly that. Rather than turning to God when he should, he turned to God when he needed to. Picks up in chapter 2. It says, I called out to the Lord out of my distress. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Lord in caps here is Yahweh. I am. So from um, the end of chapter from the end of chapter one, we read that Jonah has been in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. And I have to imagine from the moment that Jonah hit the water, he was crying out to God, help. Just like Peter, Lord, save me. The night and day and night and day, not knowing what's going to happen, he finally cries out to Yahweh. He could, have pri- he could have cried out to God during the storm. He could have followed God and turned around, but he chose to end up in the water instead. So I think we, we tend to pray when we need to rather than when we should. And I think that's what's happening here with Jonah. Jonah could have been pl- praying to God when he, ne- when he should have, but rather, than, would rather he did it when he needed to. Everyone here is in some type of relationship. Spouse, parent, coworker, friend, there's some type of relationship that we're involved in. Have you ever been aggravated at them? Yeah. <laughs> um, have you ever said, I'll show them, I'll sit over here and I'll hold my breath and I'll grumble, 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 right? Has it ever carried on for days? Has it ever carried on too far? Like you're mad, at, you're mad at somebody for four years because they didn't invite Aunt Sally to the wedding, and it just would have went to them at the beginning. You would have saved all of that heartache. Have you ever done that with God? Ever been so mad at God because of your circumstance? Or maybe you're in that now. Maybe you're mad at God right now for a circumstance that you're in, right? And you haven't turned to him yet. God doesn't want to put, I don't believe, God wants to put you in a position like you're in the belly of the fish and let your circumstances get you that far. So rather than wait to turn to God when you need him, turn to him now to help you. This is what happens to a lot of us. Think about our lives when our lives have been interrupted like Jonah's. Same thing, when did you turn to God? At first or when you realized, oh man, I can't really do this on my own. 
What's great about Jonah is that even though he's in serious trouble, he doesn't just turn to God for deliverance. He turns to God in thanksgiving. He says, I will give thanks to you. Then in one of the more unusual verses of Scripture, God has the fish vomit Jonah onto the shore. Um, but I think that maybe that tells us that how God is going to deliver us is not necessarily going to be in the way that we expect he's going to deliver us from our struggles. And then we see in chapter 3, Jonah gets a second chance. Kids call them do-overs. They play sports, you miss the ball, you get a do-over. In golf, they have an adult term for it. It's called a mulligan. I tried golfing one time, and after eight mulligans, I wasn't invited back. Um, we all make mistakes, but God is a God of second chances. Amen? Amen. Amen. There you go. So picking up in chapter 3, it says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. So here we have God giving Jonah the same instructions that he gave him before. Go to Nineveh, and I will tell you what to say. And this time Jonah goes. It doesn't say so, but I have to imagine he bathed first, considering where he was. Um, but now he has this long trip ahead of him. Now, assuming the fish put him back on the shore at Joppa from where he left from, Nineveh is over 500 miles east. So it's about a two-weeks walk. Now, you might be saying, hey, in verse 3, it says it's three days. What the writer of Jonah is saying here is that Nineveh, to walk from end to end across Nineveh, it's three days across in walking. It was a very big city. So when he gets to Nineveh, he goes into Nineveh one day, so he walks into Nineveh one day, so maybe about halfway through, and then he speaks to them. And he says, in 40 days you will be overthrown. In Hebrew, it's five words. It's the only five words, the only five prophetic words spoken by Jonah. I was thinking about only speaking five words this morning. We're at about 2,500 right now. Um, actually, I counted it, so that's how I knew. Um, but I'm pretty confident that Jonah probably spoke, spoke, probably spoke more words than what's documented here. But no matter what he said, the people of Nineveh repented. See, these three chapters parallel our relationship with God through Jesus Christ. You have Jonah, a man running from God, who's given a second chance. Isn't that like each one of us in our lives? Each one of us from the moment that we're born is running away from God. And then at some point, we've accepted Christ and we've gotten our second chance. Prior to our lives in Christ, we've lived how we wanted to, we did what we wanted to, and for some of us, we've lived through the mistakes of running from God. We felt the belly of the fish closing in, and we've cried out to God for deliverance. And through Christ, we're free. And then when we do for God, think and look at the impact that we can have. Jonah ran from God and then did for God. And later, at the end of chapter, at the end of chapter 4, it tells us that 120,000 people repented. Wow. Look at the impact that we can have for the Lord. Jonah had a relationship with God, and although he ran from God, 
God was determined to do his work through Jonah. So he didn't give up on him. God is just that committed with each one of us here. If we think we've gone too far, if we think God can't use us, God can use you any way and any place that you are. He's God. He wants to work through us. Sometimes what he's asking us to do may be a little bit difficult. Think about a time maybe you've, you've passed someone and you've struggled to give up that last $5 in your wallet. Or maybe you took time on a Saturday morning to help feed the poor. Or maybe you participated in VBS. Or maybe you coached with Upward. Or maybe like Jonah, God asked you to help your enemy. Didn't you feel when you did that that God was doing something in your heart? I think when we, when we refuse to help God, and we run from God, we miss out on the blessing that God is trying to give us by serving Him and doing for Him. I know that when I go out on Saturday mornings with Wayne to Restoring Hearts, I can feel the blessing that God is giving me by serving others that are in need. When we, refuse, when we run from God, we rob ourselves of the blessing. And when we do God's work, we get a glimpse of how awesome God is, and then we are so thankful to serve him, but not Jonah. If we pick up from the end of chapter 3, it says here, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O oh Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O oh Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Jonah sees God's graciousness, complains, and wants to die. So we have Jonah finally doing what God has asked him to do. He just witnessed God's mercy. He's complaining about it. It didn't just displease them. I mean, it really displeased him. It was so inconceivable to him that God helped his enemy, that he just wanted to die. Like, wait a minute. Didn't he just say that he would give thanksgiving to the Lord, but now he wants to die? I think Jonah is confusing the what with the why. I used to work with a guy that complained all the time about working with people from the inner city. And if he found out that I had given one a second chance, he'd complain and grumble, grumble, grumble because I had given someone a second chance. I'm like, really? Would you want me to give you a second chance? Yeah. Well, don't complain, right? Don't complain about, about someone giving mercy to someone else. Think about maybe you have a coworker that's been mean to you for years. Right? And you spent time trying to minister to them, trying to invite them to church, but they get the promotion and you get laid off. Right? You've worked in them. God has worked a blessing. It may not be a blessing that you wanted for them. Right? God wants our faithfulness. He doesn't want our pity parties. He doesn't want us to be angry at the work that he's doing. He says, um, in, Jonah, in, in verse 4, he says, do you do well to be angry? So basically, he's asking Jonah, is it right for you to be angry? Jonah's complaining to God, right? Now God, Jonah's complaining to God. God wants to hear from us. God wants to hear from Jonah. 
But Jonah's just complaining about what God is doing. He says, I know that you're mad, but is it right for you to be mad? Right? I think he's telling Jonah, these are my people. I can do with them whatever I want. You've been an instrument for me. You've, I've been talking to you. You've been serving me. But don't complain about what I'm doing. You see, when God calls us to action, we don't need to concern ourselves with the outcome. We just need to concern ourselves with the doing. That's our role. God wants us to be doing for him. Think about when that person first shared the gospel with you. They were concerned about evangelizing, not about the type of person that you would become. So it's about the what and not the why. If we focus on the why and resist the what, if we focus on the why and resist the what, but it's really the what that God wants us to do. Jonah is a very unique book. Jonah's encounter with the fish is so well known, perceived as impossible, that sometimes this book is viewed as fantasy or legend. But they miss that in verse 17 in chapter 1 says that the fish was a divine appointment. But it's also unique in that it focuses on the acts of the prophet rather than the words. His actions show his response to a life interrupted. Not just interrupted from his comfort or from his routine, but interrupted in his expectations of God. Jonah expected God to punish his enemies, but when God, but when Jonah, Jonah expected God to punish his enemies, but when God wanted Jonah to go to his enemies, to somewhere he didn't want to go, Jonah ran away. Running away never works. You can't outrun God, no matter how hard you try. Sometimes he'll redirect you, other times he'll snap you back. Do you ever like snap like a rubber band back on your hand? Sometimes it hurts like that. I doubt that we'll end up in a giant fish. However, we need to remember that if we find ourselves in a situation like that, turn to God, not just for release, but for thanksgiving and for praise. When God interrupts our lives, we ultimately need to just do. Sometimes we do it outright, but a lot of times we need a do-over. The great thing is that God is the, second, is the God of second chances. And when you do follow the Lord, wherever it is, appreciate that you're serving him. Very little good can come from complaining. So our takeaway today is that when God interrupts your life, appreciate it and run with it. So for the next four weeks, we're going to be looking at each of the four chapters of Jonah. This was just an overview of the book and of Jonah's life, but we're going to get into each of these aspects of Jonah's life. There's a lot that we can learn from him. So I'm praying that over the next four weeks, as we get into this book, that you will join us and learn from Jonah's ministry. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for Jonah. Though he was a reluctant servant, Father, we're thankful for um, his life. We're thankful for what we can learn from him, that we can not run from you when, we, when you call us to action. But if we do, we know that you're the God of second chances, and we are so thankful for that. Father, we ask that you be with us this day as we go. We ask that we can just take some of this, that we can run to you, Father, when you call us to action. We pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for sharing in this message. We pray it will make a difference in your life. Please consider joining us for our Sunday morning and evening worship services. For location and more information, visit our website, www.gracewaybc.org and listen next time to learn more. 
May the God of peace richly bless you through his Son, Jesus Christ.